0: You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. And welcome folks to another show. Yes, every week we have interesting guests that come along. And my next guest means an awful lot to me. I have read multiple of his books. He, In my eyes, he needs no introduction and to a lot of my guests as well, will know of him. And it's Neil Donald Walsh. His stardom set him on his road when he wrote the books, A Conversation with God, which I read multiple times. And then in 2019, before all the madness began, I picked up a fourth book and that was Waking the Species. And then I picked it up again in 2020. And that book blew my mind. And I have read that book multiple times. And I used that book as a a reference on how to live my life each and every day. Now, Neil has come up with another book and it's that question that we all are asking all the time, the solution. And this book is called The God Solution. Neil, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Joe. And uh, welcome to all of you who are joining us. We're here every week with interesting guests, except this week we do not have an interesting guest. Sorry to say we have this weird guy, Neil Donald Walsh, who thinks he talked to God, which is not very interesting, but uh, he'll do his best to try to make it interesting if you just give him half a chance.
0: Half a chance, half a chance. You know, and and I think we all talk to God, but maybe you were the only one in the world, well, not in the world recently, that he spoke back. So there you go. <laughs> there's, there's, there's I'm not, go. You
1: know, I, I'm not even the only one he spoke back to. I think he speaks back to all of us. She never leaves anybody out of her conversation, but I think I may be one of the few who actually took down, word for word, the dictation. Now, that, that I will accept, that not many people are taking down on a word-for-word basis what they're receiving. But uh, it's been made clear to me in the conversation, Joe, when I said, you know, very early in the experience, why me? Why Why? Why was I chosen, if you please, to have this experience? And God said, oh, no, 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 no. Neil, Neil, it's not about you. I talk to everybody all the time. The question isn't, to whom is God talking? The question is, who's listening? Yes,
0: yeah, and it it brings up a question that looking at God and looking about, we go back to the Bible or we go back to, you know, the Quran or whatever book that people want to reference. And I've always said that, you know, we have these messages where God spoke to these people and they wrote them down. And for some reason, we have learned over the decades that God used to speak to people but he doesn't anymore. And I say to people, God has always been speaking to us all the time. It's only now that we're starting to awaken to realize that, where for for centuries we believed that it was something that only happened a long time ago.
1: Yes, we have this notion, a cultural story, to put it in the simplistic way that somehow several thousand years ago, God came up with a very bad case of celestial laryngitis. That is, she simply stopped talking to us. You know, he, he talked to us a lot in the early days, but now if someone in contemporary times dares to suggest that God continues to talk directly to humanity in this day and time, now it's called blasphemy. So what yeah. we accepted earlier, you know, centuries ago and and, and millennia mm-hmm. ago, what we accepted then as a sacred experience, we now call blasphemy, heresy, apostasy. So, and in some countries, we actually bring people up on charges. You know, ch- churches bring, and religious organizations, bring people up on ecclesiastical charges saying that that they're violating uh, the teachings uh, of their religion by suggesting that God talked directly to them. But as I mentioned earlier, it's been my understanding that the supreme being, the higher power that we call God, Allah, Brahman, Yahweh, Jehovah, whatever name it pleases you to use to refer to that ineffable essence that we call the divine. It's my understanding that the divine is talking to all of us all the time. And for a very interesting reason, Joe, it's not a communication from somewhere up here to to all of us down here. It's more of a speaking from in here to us out here. That is, it's my understanding that divinity and the aspect of the life energetic that is divine is placed within all of us, is placed within every living thing in the cosmos, that we are in fact, if I dare say it, an individuation of the divine. And so that when we are experiencing that connection, what we really have done is connect with the deepest part within us, which I call the soul. And we've connected with our soul. And I believe that our soul is directly connected to the source, the essential essence of life that some of us call God. So that's the experience that I've had. And that's what I like to share with people when they ask me about this encounter that I've had. When you mention
0: God for me and growing up as a Roman Catholic as well, I've only probably in the last year felt very comfortable to say the word God. There was for a long time I was Roman Catholic and a little bit like yourself. I went atheist for a while, but I knew there was a calling. And then I went on that spiritual journey. I called her source, divine, whatever. And I've only just now recently to use that word, word God, because I associated it with a church or a religion. And it was that dogma religion, which I felt was driving the word of God by fear, an avengeful God. And I realized that God wasn't avengeful. He's loving and caring. And you know, if you screw something up here for a short period of time, you're going to spell the eternity in hell. And I now realize that we have to step above and beyond that and really find the essence of the true God. Would you would you agree or disagree with that? I
1: disagree, and Joe, you're going to hell for even suggesting such a thing. There we go. I'll just get me knapsack. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course I agree, and that's the uh, the message of all of the conversations with God books, and it is the thrust of the latest book, which is called the God solution because it's my understanding and my observation that humanity really has been faced increasingly as the years have gone by with what I have come to call the God dilemma. The dilemma we have about God, that is the dilemma that humanity is faced with, is how do we believe in such a higher power when the world is in such a mess? How do, how do we, you know, what's the point? If there really is what we call God or a higher power, then why is the world the way it is? Why doesn't God step in and do something to solve these problems and to help me individually in my own life uh, more profoundly and more regularly and more dependably? And so what's all that about? And so I've come to call that the God dilemma because we can't seem to square. We can't seem to find a way to balance the ideas that there is a higher power And nevertheless, the world is immense and increasingly so as we become a more dangerous place uh, on which uh, to live, this this planet. So I, I began searching in my heart, you know, what is the answer to the God dilemma? What is the God solution? And I was given the opportunity to look deeply at the question, might it be time for us to come up with a new definition, a brand new definition? Of God. Is it possible, just possible, that there's something we have not really fully understood here about God, about life, and about even ourselves, the understanding of which would change everything? That question nagged at me for over 20 years. Let me just, just for the sake of emphasis, quickly repeat the question again for all of you who are witnessing this program to consider Is it possible, just possible that there's something we don't fully understand here about god about life and about ourselves the understanding of which would change everything because if you think that maybe there's some data missing maybe we don't have all the data maybe we ought to be looking more deeply at the most important subject to face humanity ever in its evolutionary process and that's what the god solution offers us is a chance to look more deeply
0: at the question I think the missing piece is us remembering. And, you know, why do we come back here all the time? And I believe we come back because when we die and we go up and then we see, you know, the full picture, we're looking at the world and we go, oh, my God, what an amazing place. But we still need for the souls to remember. So it's like then we jump, put a parachute on our back and we're like Navy SEALs. And we jump back down onto the planet again onto Mother Earth to try and go through that process to through century to century to wake each other up. Will we ever remember? Will we ever remember? And maybe the God solution is the new step of our evolution to kind of really get
1: down into questioning things. Well, I think that that's correct. I'm not sure that we come back here as, you know, the Navy SEALs, so to speak, as the heroes of the game. Uh, I, like, I like the idea, but my own uh, awareness of it is that we, that is souls, souls return to physicality to continue their own process. I didn't come here to help or save anybody else in my own understanding. My own awareness is that I came here to move my own process of evolution forward that I could expand and expand and make even greater my awareness, my understanding and my expression and experience of my true relationship. With the divine that life is a process not just on earth but throughout the cosmos there's intelligent life of course on other planets in the universe as well we are now pretty clear about that then it would be mathematically impossible to believe that of the billions and trillions of, of stars and universes and planets in the cosmos that this is the only one where intelligent life developed so we see that throughout the cosmos there are sentient beings who are in existence for a singular purpose, to demonstrate, to announce, to declare, to express, to fulfill and to experience their true identity as individuations of divinity, so that God itself might continue to know itself in its own experience. And so we see then that the opportunity here is for us to use this particular incarnation, this particular lifetime, if you will, to advance ourselves as we move forward with the agenda of the soul. Now, my awareness is that when people take that agenda seriously, when they really see, oh, now I get what I'm doing here. Now I understand why I'm on the earth. Now I understand why I, if you will, came back to this physical environment. When we take that seriously and begin to focus on that agenda, we do, in fact, it turns out, touch other people's lives in a way that often awakens them and brings them to a new level of consciousness themselves. So it turns out that we do wind up, in a sense, helping other people, even as we are helping ourselves to a larger and grander understanding and experience of our true identity. But of course, we would be helping other people because there's only one of us. The first message in conversations with God is that we are all one. Oh, yeah, and so we're, we're, we're all simply individual expressions of the self-same entity. And when we understand that as well, the alienation that we have been seeing on our planet will disappear almost overnight. You know, Joe, I've never seen uh, the world the way I've seen it these last few years. I'm an older guy, probably 25 or 30, maybe even 40 years older than you are. So I'm a bit older than you are. And I can tell you that I never thought I would see the day when there was such rampant alienation on this planet. People alienated from people at every level politically, economically, socially, spiritually, racially, sexually, in in every way we can imagine, we have found some reason to be alienated from each other because we have bought into a cultural story. And the cultural story is one of separation. In my view, that's the, the biggest problem facing humanity today, that we imagine that we are separate entities, separate from each other, separate from the life that we are living separate from the planet on which we are living and of course separate from the divine being the higher power god is over here and we're down here and never the twain shall meet except on judgment day when you'll be judged and it'll be determined whether you have a right to come back to where god is but if you've done some bad stuff like you know and as as a child joe speaking but being roman catholic as a child, I remember being told when I was nine years old. This is interesting because I was I was a nine-year-old little boy, you know. And one Sunday, I didn't go to Mass. Told a little white lie to my parents that I had gone to Mass. and uh, but, but then uh, I found out on Monday, as it happened, uh, the, the priest came in to do the catechism class on Monday morning. And just by non-coincidence. He was talking about mortal sins and venial sins and the kinds of sins that we get punished for, and he brought up missing Mass on Sunday. He said, of course, you all know that you must go to Mass every Sunday, uh, and if you miss Mass without a good excuse, I mean, if you're taking care of a sick parent or if you're an adult and you have to go to work, fair enough, but if you don't have a good excuse and you miss Mass, you will be condemned. You will be if you don't have any other sins on your soul, you'll probably go to purgatory, but you'll still have to wait until you have been perfected by that sin being burned off your soul. And if you have other sins you've committed, you'll go straight to hell. Yeah. And then I sat there. Don't you think I ran to the confessional that afternoon? Don't you think I raced up and my nine year old heart was pounding. Oh my God, I'm I'm gonna be punished for the everlasting fires because I missed mass yesterday and played baseball. And so I I said to the priest in the confessional, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. My last confession was a week ago. These are my sins. Um, Actually, I don't have very many, but I didn't go to mass yesterday. Please don't send me to hell. God won't send me to purgatory, will she? He said, she? What are you talking about? God has a penis. What's the matter with you? You know better than that. And so, you know, I had to say the usual three Our Fathers and three Hail Marys and three Glory Bees. And, and I went out there, but, you know, and, but I lived in that atmosphere of fear, yeah. living in fear of God. Now, why is that important? Why is my childhood story important? Because humanity as a whole, whether you're Catholic or whether you're Jewish or whether you're Islamic or belong to some other faith tradition. And by the way, speaking of faith traditions, don't know whether you guys know it or not, but there are 4,300 known religions on the face of the earth. I didn't make that up. Google it. There are wow. 4,300 known religions on the face of wow. the earth. And those religions all teach of a God of judgment condemnation and punishment for a variety of offenses that we are not allowed to commit and and so what the world needs right now is uh, what i want to call a civil rights movement for the soul freeing humanity at last from the oppression of its beliefs in a violent, angry, and vindictive God. Because right now we're modeling our behaviors on the behaviors of God as we understand them. I mean, what's good enough for God is good enough for us. So we're also going to play on this planet a game of I love you if, I love you, I love you, if. If you meet my conditions and do as I say, because if you don't, that you're in big trouble. And that's the model, the ethic that we have used, the spiritual ethic, based on our understanding of how God treats us. That's the spiritual ethic, which has caused more wars on this planet in the name of religion, in the name of God, than for any other single reason. Is it possible? Is it just possible that we've got a little bit of this wrong, that we don't have all the data, that we're misunderstanding? a foundational element of who and what God is, and so what I offer in The God Solution is a new definition of God. I say to my audiences at lectures around the world, here's the new definition of God. God is pure love. Now, you know what happens, Joe, my audiences get up, you know, some of them stand up and they say, oh, man, I came here, expected to hear something new. This is, you call this a new idea? God is love? Of course, everyone agrees on that. God is love. Nobody would disagree. I said, wait, 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 guys, relax. I didn't say God is love. You didn't hear me say God is love. I said, God is pure love. And there's a difference between pure love and the kind of love that human beings express and experience with each other. Pure love wants, asks for, expects, hopes for, and commands nothing in return. Dare we believe in a God who commands and expects and needs nothing in return? A supreme being whose greatest joy is the outflowing of love and all that love would provide to her loved ones without needing a single thing in return. Can we believe in a God who's at least as nice as my grandma? Yes. Radical notion. What a radical idea. Hmm. But if we held that idea and decided to create our own human ethic based on that idea, human behaviors would change overnight. Our political, our economic, our social, and our spiritual interactions would change dramatically overnight
0: you're listening to joe dalton on dublin south fm crossing the rubicon you know neil one of the things that i've i've said in the past probably way before this all happened in 2019 you know and i've run an initiative saying we are all one if you strip down the color of our skin strip down our borders you know, our nationalities, everything that if everyone devised just remember zero one, we can change everything. And then, as you know, COVID came, break down all these systems so we then can have greater compassion. We can then sort of understand each other, take away all that darkness and bring us closest together. Is COVID to us like Moses bringing the Jews out of Egypt? And crossing the, the Red Sea is this part of the new awakening that people are having to get people back to waking up to God and to remember that there is two major vibrations, love and fear. And at the moment, we are swirling in this fear and more people are awakening up by the day. And raising their vibration to love.
1: Let me offer my observations on what you're just saying, Joe. Because it's fascinating, and I agree with 99.9 percent of it. Mm-hmm. I do want—I I want to make sure, though, that nobody walks away with the impression that God created this, that God planned, you know, the COVID thing in order for us to reach the stage that you're now, I think, very accurately describing. I, I don't think that it happened that way. So I think I think it's very important for us to not not uh, think in those terms. Yeah. But yes, it can be used. Here's, here's my message. <clears throat> this event, this global worldwide event, can absolutely be used in that way as an awakening, an opportunity for us. You know, the next thing that would make us realize we're all one, the next most dramatic event that could happen on Earth, is if we were visited by creatures from other planets. And mark my words, before the next 200 years are out, and maybe sooner, for all we know, that may very well happen. That some kind of a ship, some kind of a vehicle will land or hover somewhere over the Earth. And we'll look up and those entities will say, we've taken the time to learn your language. And we have come here to awaken your species. You know, if we were visited for real by visitors from other planets, I can tell you in 30 seconds, human beings would become one. We would decide, ah. Oh, a common enemy, or if not a common enemy, at least a common fear. Now, let me answer what you said about fear and love. I have been told in conversations with God that there is really only one energetic that we call an emotion. And that energetic, we would call in human language, love. That love is all there is. And even fear is a demonstration and an expression of love. Because if you didn't, And I was told quite astonishingly in the dialogue, Neil, if you love nothing, you'd fear nothing. And if you loved nothing, you would do nothing that's evil or horrible to anybody else. Because even the most horrible events you could imagine arose out of someone else's love of something, their love of power, or their love of self-aggrandizement, or whatever their love might have been. And because you're such a young species, you have distorted and misunderstood how love can best be expressed, but behind even the most evil crimes you could imagine is someone's love of something. So we see that fear, in fact, is even a distorted expression of love. So now when we remove ourself from the idea of a love that's conditional and begin to embrace an unconditional love the way I believe God loves every living sentient being in the universe suddenly we can take God's advice as given to us by a number of teachers. Fear not, for I am with you always, yea, even unto the end of time.
0: Yeah. I had a conversation with someone the other day and I was telling them that you're, you were coming on I was talking about your books and they said, I don't believe in God. And I said, that's acceptable. It's not about me forcing my belief on you or you forcing your belief. You know, everyone's right. And he says, how can there be a God that gives children cancer or gets a child that gets abused by an adult sexually?
1: See, see, the answer is, what I would say to that first is, oh, I see you have mistaken the notion of God. You actually think that God, to use your exact words, gives a child cancer. You actually think that God is at cause in the matter of the child who's terribly abused or sexually assaulted or whatever evil event and horrible. Atrocity you can imagine. So as long as you place God, if you, you first you say you don't believe in God, but if there was a God, how could God do such a thing? Your logic is correct on that level. God would not do such a thing. That's not God's role in the universe to cause specific events to occur. But then my audiences say to me, "Well, okay, fair enough. I won't argue with you about God causing it. But why does God allow it? Why doesn't God at least stop it?" Yeah. And I give them, that's what I call the God dilemma. This is, I, I fairly describe this as the God dilemma. We have a dilemma. How can we believe in a higher power who at least would allow such things and won't step in to stop it? And the answer that I've been caused to understand is that it is not the role, if you please, the job, if you will, of the supreme being of the higher power to cause or not cause to do or not do, to stop or fail to stop anything at all, God's function is to give us as sentient beings the power to empower us with the higher power and to empower us to create a world in which those things need never again occur, even the capture of little children. We all know, of course, that the cancers that are, we, that are uh, visited upon us on this planet are created in the main by all sorts of environmental and nutritional and other aspects, 95% of which our species has created. Yes. If we lived on this planet the that we were, we were meant to live didn't put up factories four, four blocks down the road from the schools that belch and have been belching for the last 55 years smoke, uh, cancerous particles into the air, just to use one simple example. Now, I know you're going to say, oh, no, 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 You're making it all up. But in fact, we've been doing that. We've been living a life. that that, that And notice the incidence of these kinds of diseases that have increased through the years. And yeah, so, so what I'm suggesting to you... The more processed yeah, food, and exactly. you know,
0: people are eating cardboard now, tasty cardboard, which has no nutritional value. You know, or, or
1: or feeding cattle with you know the, the kinds of feeding grain cattle and, with cattle, yeah, and, and 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 with other kinds of feeds, grains that are un, very very unhealthy, and then wondering why when we eat the meat of those animals, we have become. Unhealthy, and and by the way, while we're discussing this, while people who are disagreeing with me, they say, "Oh, Neil, you're just making that stuff up." Let's have a good conversation.
0: Yeah, have, have a cigarette. <laughs> yeah.
1: and he said, "Well, but but you're, you're proving it right in front of me." Oh, Neil, for gosh sake. Get off it. We're living a perfectly wonderful life. And if God cared, he wouldn't let me pick up my cigarette. But he doesn't care, so he lets me, thank goodness, he lets me have a cigarette once every 25 minutes, a pack a day. Pretty well. (laughs) I did this. I did this from the time I was 14. to the time I was 39. But one day, near my 39th birthday, I just went, why am I doing this? Mm. And I stopped myself from doing that and a great many other things that I was doing. So you know what? God is not doing it to us, nor is God allowing it to happen. God is simply saying, my dear, dear human beings, I am empowering you to create the reality that you wish to experience. I think
0: that's it. And, and like yourself, I gave up the cigarettes and I gave up the drink as well. Oh, I wouldn't give
1: up. I didn't say anything, but give up no, I drink. No,
0: gave, I, gave, I gave it up. I gave it up. I decided well, I one live. day.
1: I can tell you right now, <laughs> there's no uh, way I'm putting this stuff down.
0: Well, <laughs> i tell you what it is, right? I know that we create our own reality. I understand that. And I know that we try and, you know, to have that ripple effect where everything, you know, live as you'd like to be treated. And I believe in metaphysics. So is it a case if we can get more people to understand the process or believe or question or even go down that dilemma, that the more people that we can get on one sort of thought, the metaphysics, the God particle, whatever it may be, will move as nature does slowly move us into such a way that will create that life that we all desire?
1: I believe The answer is yes. And uh, I think that the reason we haven't gotten there uh, so far is that we are still a a very young species. I almost want to say primitive uh, species. Let me just take a second here to explain how young we are. There was a book written just a few years ago called New World, New Life. I forgot the title. God forgive me. But in any event, in that book was a paragraph that was astonishing. In one paragraph, it explained the whole thing. It said, take the age of the earth and overlay it on a calendar year for purposes of scale. Like, let's say the earth was born on January 1st, and that's called today December 31st. So we overlay the entire age of the earth on a calendar year just for the purposes of scale. Now, on that scale... The first form of life, single cell life, did not appear until the middle of February. More sophisticated life forms, birds in the sky, fishes in the sea, did not appear until the the end of November. Dinosaurs did not appear on the planet on that scale until the 5th of December. Dinosaurs did not disappear from the Earth on that scale until the 25th of December. Humanoids, not human beings, but humanoids, that is, mammals that walked on two legs and stood upright, did not appear until December the 30th. And all that has happened in human history took place in the last 60 seconds of the year. That's how young we are relative to the age of the Earth. Forget about the age of the cosmos. And so we are the children of the universe it doesn't make us bad or wrong in any way but it makes us very very young we're a very young species and so it's understandable that like some other species on this planet we, like guppies we eat our young no. we, we virtually annihilate ourselves we do it through wars through violence through terrorism and by a variety of other means as well Separate. not the least of which is what we grow and feed ourselves and what we do in our off time
0: <laughs> <laughs> as people can see he's having a fag <laughs> or a cigarette we should say
1: well i just just to complete that thought uh, your your idea is is i think uh, right on the money that is i think that yes we are now moving to a place where we will begin to begin use the tools of metaphysics and when enough of us do that when we get enough that that forms What we have commonly called critical mass, when we reach critical mass, and by the way, critical mass is not one more than half. It's not 51 percent. It's not 40 percent. It's not 20 percent. It's not 10 percent. Sociologists tell us that critical mass, that is enough massive energy to move an idea into completion in a population group, is around 5.5 percent. 5.5% of the people on the earth is all it will take us to reach critical mass, to topple the first domino. That's why my foundation for years has been giving what we call the first domino award to anyone who's willing to stand up and say, I'll play, I'll be one of those 5.5%. I'm going to model the behavior, as Gandhi said in his wonderful words, be the change
0: you wish to see. Christ consciousness. You know, it's it's you, me, it's the chair, it's the plants, it's everything, and I think that five percent will be that change. But the question I have you mentioned in your in the book as well, the God solution for all those people that are spiritually connected in the world, that have believe in some sort of God, I believe in you know some sort of religion. There's different levels of that faith that they have.
1: Yeah. Interestingly enough, sociological surveys have shown over the past 25 years that 80%, actually numerically, 8.5 out of every 100 people in all the cultures of the planet believe in some sort of higher power. We we simply can't agree on what it is, what it wants, what it requires, how it works, what it does. But we agree that there's something more going on here than meets the eye. There is a higher power.
0: That is it. There are so many people that believe, you know, I can believe in God, but I don't think about him. You know, I could believe in God and I think he's vengeful. If we can get people up to that level of what God really is, I think, th- and I think that's happening at the moment. I believe it's happening because I'm having conversations with people today and this year of uh, talking to them openly about God, where a year ago or two years ago, those conversations would have never happened. And I say to people, it's like there's more people coming out of the closet, the religious closet and not religious, the spiritual closet to talk about God. And and these people are saying to me, I would have never had this call. Like even this show meandered into the diversity of chats with people, but it's it's got a spiritual element about it. We are
1: evolving. I agree with you profoundly. The only question is who's going to win this human race? Is it going to be those who are evolving? Will that evolution occur rapidly enough? Or is it going to be those who insist that, no, Neil, you've got it all wrong. You're a blasphemer. You're an apostate. You, you don't have it right. You don't understand. Uh, we're all separate from each other. We have to look out you know, each each one for you know, every man for himself. Yeah. We live in an every man for himself world. Uh, And you got to stop thinking this way. And yeah, you're one of those guys. Oh, you're one of the woke. Yeah, you're one of the woke ones. Yeah, I know who you are. You know, and they start calling us names and bullying us simply because we have a different point of view, a point of view that would, excuse me, change the world for the better. Yeah, that's, that's it. And you talk about pure
0: love and you nailed it on the head there. A lot of people, when they think love, you know, God is love, they get confused with sexuality you know they think of sex or they think of hugs maybe it's because we're still a young species they don't really understand the true essence of what pure love
1: is even though most people have experienced it coming from them in their own life. There are very few people on the earth, I mean adults, who have not at least once in their life held a little baby in their arms. Hopefully most of us have had that experience at least once. Maybe it's your own child, the child of a brother or sister, the child of a family member, the baby of a friend. But hopefully you've had the blessed moment of just holding a little baby in your arms just for a moment and look at that child in your arms and... Not one of you who's had that experience has failed to notice what it's like to have pure love flow through you, to look down at that beautiful, beautiful expression of life. As well as those of you who've had pets, people who own a beautiful horse out in the pasture, who grab that horse around the neck and love it completely and absolutely without condition or a wonderful dog, or a kitten, or whatever we have experienced pure love in our life. Yeah. What we need now to do is to transfer that to adult human beings and just say, you know what? You know what? I'm going to see if I can find a way to love you, without expecting, needing, certainly never demanding, or even hoping for anything in return. Now, how could I get there? Neil, how can an average human being get there? Ah. Let that be the question of the day and the answer in my understanding yeah. is to become clear that i need nothing the need is the first illusion the idea that need exists you know joe i've had the experience of living on the street for a year I, you know i just had a, a bad turn in my life uh, several years ago many years ago now 35 years ago but i wound up living on the sidewalk and having no place to, to, to get undercover, no place to call home, no money, no no, no money for food. And I didn't, I didn't live this way for a bad week or a tough month or even a season, of bad season. I lived that way for a solid year of my life, to be precise, two weeks shy of one year. I lived on the sidewalk, walking the streets, putting my hand out, asking people, would you have just a coin, just a little to share, not knowing when I woke up after sleeping on the pavement if I'd have anything to eat that day, and Mm. some days having had very little to eat. I'm telling you this story because I lived my life and and I know know what it's like. I know what's important now. I've come to be real clear what's really important in life. It's not the things that I thought were important. I I went through a whole year of my life with zero. Nothing, none of the things that I thought Mm. were important. And after that year, did that change my perspective when I got back in the workforce, when I got back into the social system, when I moved back into interactions with people on a regular basis? Boy, did it ever change my perspective about life. And when was the last time I passed another person on the street? Maybe somebody leaning up against a building on the sidewalk with a little basket out in front of him, hoping that someone might drop in a little coin, or perhaps even, God forbid, some paper money, some folding money. When was the last time I passed someone standing on the street corner looking at me saying, would you have anything to spare? I don't pass people like that anymore. You I've, think? Had, I've had my friends say to me, I've had my friends say to me, Joe, oh, they're just going to use the money for alcohol. They're just going to buy drugs. With it. Why, do you, why do you support that? And I go, wait a minute, wait a minute judge not and neither condemn. It's not my place to imagine what they're going to do with the little money I just gave them. I've been on the other side of this. You'll forgive me for bringing it up, my friend. I've been on the other side of this. And I never used the money to buy drugs or alcohol. I was happy if I just got a bag of French
0: fries to get through the day. Yeah, $10 is a lot when you don't have it.
1: $10 is a fortune. Right. $5 is a lot. $10 is a fortune.
0: You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. Would you have taught if you didn't go down that road? You know, we talk about our life is mapped out for us and there's free will. But yeah, have you ever thought that if you didn't end up being homeless, you would have never wrote the books? Because out of being homeless, you had frustration. And out of that frustration, and if anyone wants to see, there, there is a movie about Neil's uh, life um, that you can watch it. But was it that frustration
1: that caused you to where you are now? Of course. yeah, Of course it was. I was stubborn, beyond stubborn. I had bought into the old cultural story firmly and believed it absolutely to the letter. Of course, I had to be brought to my knees by life. I had to get up one day and go to work and knock on the door and see a sign in the window where I worked saying bankruptcy sale. No one in the company even told me they were in trouble. Now the building is closed for bankruptcy, and I never got, I didn't even get the last two weeks pay. I was suddenly without any income whatsoever, and that's just one of the things that happened to me. And then, as luck would have it, I wind up getting smashed by a guy in a car in in an automobile accident and broke my neck. I mean, I fractured my neck, and it wasn't, by the way, a hairline fracture. Oh, it's just a hairline fracture, put him in a cast for a couple of weeks, no. I had a three-quarter inch avulsion fracture of the seventh cervical vertebrae posteriorly. A three-quarter inch avulsion fracture is large enough to put a pencil through. <laughs> oh, When I got out of that hospital, the doctor looked at me and he said, My dear man, you are lucky to still be alive, much less totally paralyzed from the neck down. I don't know how you escaped both outcomes, but you should thank your lucky stars. But of course, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't work. I couldn't. I couldn't so much as lift a half gallon of milk from the refrigerator. I was prohibited from lifting anything that heavy, as heavy as a half gallon of milk. And so, I was out of work, and nobody would hire me. I'm wearing a therapeutic collar, and I had to wear it for 18 months. And they'd see me walking in, you know, with a job application, and they'd be, you know, I'm a walking insurance claim. They're not going to give me a job wearing that therapeutic device. No. What happened to you? I broke my neck in a car accident. I'm sorry, we have no we have no room. We have no job for you here. And I couldn't find work anywhere. Especially until in I America. Wound up, hello. And I wound up living on the sidewalk, asking people for a bit of charity. I change your idea about what life is about. What would you say to somebody who
0: is in this world of chaos at the moment that, is feeling the pressure of needing you know needing to be able to pay the bills needing to be able to put the food on the table needing that work isn't working out for them in a way what would you say to them are they going down the wrong path have they not connected with that metaphysics or you know their belief systems
1: that's 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 what i call new age guilt yeah, yeah, what, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking wrong. What have I done? It's all my fault. No, I wouldn't say any of the any of those things to anybody in that situation. I would say you have a perfect right. I understand the, how you would feel the way you feel. I, I totally get why you feel you you need you know to pay the bills. You need to feed your family. You know you're in you're in trouble here because those things are true.
0: Hmm.
1: So I, I would I would say don't try to deny. Get into self denial on top of everything else. Get into self denial. Of course not. But I then would say, see if there's a place within you that can give yourself the faith to know that you will, in fact, get through this, that you will, in fact, get through this. I want to suggest to you the possibility that a year and a half or two years from today, and maybe even sooner, you'll still be here. This will all be over, and you'll still be here, unless you're not, of course, in which case none of it will matter.
0: No, no. But if you are
1: still here, and I suspect in two years you will still be here, then you will be able to look back on this and see it in an entirely different way. Here's what I say to my audiences when I talk to them about such things. I ask my audience, how many of you have experienced what you thought would be in the moment, what you experienced in the moment to be, golly, one of the worst things that could ever have happened to you? And then... Six months or or a year or two later, look back on it to conclude that it was, you know, actually one of the best things that ever happened to me. How many of you have had that experience? And 95% of the hands in the audience go up. And I've had the experience as well. If someone had said to me, no, no, you don't understand. You're going to be living on the sidewalk. I mean, sleeping on the concrete outside in the cold for a year. I would have said, no, no way. And not only that, but if that prophet had said to me, not only will that happen to you, the day will come when you will bless that it did. I would say, what are you, crazy? What's the matter with you? But having lived through that, what I would say to people who are in the position you've just described, I would say, there is a place within you that could have the faith, the faith of a mustard seed that they say would move mountains. And I have a suspicion, could be wrong, but I have a suspicion that in a few months or a year or two, you'll still be here. Mm. And you may just look back on this time as the time when it brought you the experience of that you had the strength, the courage, the power, and the resources, emotional resources to move through these days and times and come out in the end. Victorious after all was said and done.
0: I would agree. I did a TEDx talk probably a couple of years ago uh, called Becoming Consciously Aware when all the stuff outside here was causing me grief and pain and anxiety. And in that moment, I just realized that none of that mattered. It was what goes on inside me that makes a difference. And when that happened to me, Everything outside just changed in an instant in an instant the story is i was shouting cursing god up walking up a mountain and when i got up to the top I, I looked up and the sun banged and and i walked down that mountain singing and laughing and my life has never been has never never been better
1: yeah. 98% of the world's people are spending 98% of their time on things that don't matter paragraph one chapter one page one of a book called the only thing that matters <laughs> i'm really glad i found that book and read it i, would, I would I'm trying to the i can't remember the author's name the only thing that matters wait wait just a second i think i had it right here oh, neil donald walsh <laughs>
0: yeah yeah the only thing that matters the next task everyone going out and talking and creating that new religion it does people no, just are not you know is is it people just having conversation what what is it we are in the, we are in the most wonderful time that we can be in in this 24th century well, what's going on in the world you know you can have fear or love or not let any of it affect you or but there's a huge change like what is that next task
1: I can only answer for me, because Mm. I I wouldn't presume to answer for anybody else, but I know what the next task is for me. And I suspect, by extension, if it were embraced by others, it, it might provide us with the outcomes that we all prefer on this planet. The next task for me is to embody, to fully embody what I understand and believe to be true. To find a way to express what I understand to be true about life, about God, about who we are, about all of it, to express that in all the golden moments of now that I have granted between this time and the time that I celebrate my continuation day. And I've given myself a little exercise that allows me to activate that willingness and that commitment. I say something to myself before I meet anybody, even before I encounter anybody on any given day, before I, before I turn to my beloved across the pillow in the morning, before I turn to a family member across the kitchen in the house, before I encounter the man across the street, the neighbor around the block, or the person across the town, or the person on the other side of the world named Joe. Before I encounter anybody in that day, I say this to myself in my mind, I wouldn't advise anybody to say this out loud because very few people would understand, if anybody would understand. But say it to yourself. This is a challenge that I offer you. This is what I say to myself before I lay eyes and when I know I'm going to encounter another human being. I say this to myself. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Your life will be made better this day for my having passed through it. I promise you. That's it indeed. And when I see that in front of every person that I encounter, the teller at the bank, the lady at the coffee shop, the woman on the other side of the bed, whoever it is, when I say that to myself prior to my first encounter, it recontextualizes my whole reason for being there. Mm. My whole understanding of what am I doing here? But then, miraculously, all the things that I thought I should be spending my time on fall in on me automatically. Suddenly, I don't have to work for what I thought I needed to stress and strain and strive for in my life. Turns out that he was right. He said it perfectly. He said it directly. He said go around asking, what are we to eat? What are we to drink? Wherewithal will we clothe ourselves? Each day has worries of its own. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Was he lying to us? Is he a scam artist? Didn't he know what he was talking about? Or is it possible? just possible that there's something we don't fully understand here, the understanding of which would change everything. But what it is,
0: it's not believing, it's knowing of his existence, because too many believe and I believe in God and I believe in this, but it's not the belief. I I think as you grow your spirituality and what you've said there, it's knowing knowing that he's here and knowing that he will look after you and knowing for you just to be for who you are, no matter what that is. And, and then knowing doing that, that
1: you need nothing and need
0: knowing nothing. that
1: you need nothing. See, yeah. it's, it's, it's not that, you know, when, when I think of knowing that he will look after me, well, if he's going to look after me, who's going to pay the rent? See, see but, but knowing that, oh, I get it. I get it. I'm making it all up. I don't really need any of this to occur. I simply I'm invited to use the days and times, the events and circumstances of my life as another opportunity to announce and declare, to express and fulfill, to become and to experience the next grandest version of the greatest vision I ever held about who I am.
0: Yeah.
1: Life in a nutshell.
0: The God solution, for anyone that picks it up, thinking of how we should move forward as, as a species...
1: I'm very happy to say that the last half of the book, The God Solution, is a metaphysical course. It's a a short course in masterful metaphysics that tells us how we can take these principles, these ideas, these thoughts, these concepts, and put them on the ground in a practical, functional way. So the last three or four chapters of that book are probably the most important chapters I've ever written on any topic. And that's where I think you'll find the goldmine in that book the god solution
0: where can people pick the book up
1: i'm not sure that it's available in local bookstores in some of the countries outside the us but if you have access to amazon Amazon amazon.com of course has every book in the world and you can find the book by just typing in the god solution and they'll have it in your hands relatively quickly
0: and it's on audible as well i believe yes indeed it is the audible version and your other books are available and Neil, if people want to know more about your courses, do they just go to neildonaldwalsh.com? dot com?
1: That's a good way to do it, or if they want to stay connected with the material, they can go to cwgconnect.com. Easy to remember. Conversations with God, of course, is what CWG stands for. So they just go to cwgconnect.com, and I have a column there that I do every day. I visit it twice a day, Ask Meal, where people can ask me any question on any topic whatsoever, and a slew of other resources, audio, video, and written resources as well. We do a webinar once a month. Every single month we do a webinar at the end of each month. And information about that can be found at ndwhome.com. That'll take you to my homepage. It'll tell you all about our upcoming webinars. We do one a month all year long. Yeah. Let, me, let me say one last thing. Yeah. Enjoy at the risk of taking thirty more seconds. No, no. Yeah, I yeah, want yeah. people. To, I want people to understand that I'm not trying to. I'm not pitching my books or my seminars to see if yeah. I can increase the cash flow. If you go to online to check out the seminars that I offer, I offer them, uh, and I tell people you can pay anything you want, any percentage you want of the asking price. We do ask a price so we can pay our technicians and, and, and pay the staff. They they deserve to earn a salary, but We allow anybody who comes to that website, we say, you know, pay any percentage you want, 100%, 80%, 50%, 40%, 10%, or 0%. Hmm. And over 50% of the people who take our our seminars take them for 0% because they're saying, at this point in my life, I can't can't even afford to give 10%. We say, fine and give yourself a scholarship. So I want people to understand that so they don't think that I'm out there trying to reach for every penny there is in the marketplace. If you want to do one of our weekend retreats and pay nothing for it at all, we welcome you in this space.
0: Lovely, lovely. Last question. What would you have done knowing what you know now? What would you have done differently?
1: So old, so soon, so smart, so late. <laughs> I would have rearranged my idea about why I'm here. I thought I was here to get the car, get the girl. You couldn't get the girl without the car. So I had my priorities right when I was a young man, get the car, get the girl, get the job, get the house, get the spouse, get the kids, get the better job, get the better house, get the better car, get the better spouse, get the better spouse, get the better spouse. Get the office in the corner with your name on the door. Get the building on the corner with your name on the building. Get the gray hair, get the retirement watch, get the cruise tickets, get the illness and get the hell out. And that was my formula for life it was the formula that I watched everyone in my culture or at least most of the people in my culture following a formula that was very similar to that. What would I have changed if I knew then what I know now? I would have tossed that formula out. I would have realized that in fact, 95% of the world's people are spending 95% of their time on things that don't matter. And I would have decided, wait a minute, wait a minute, who am I, who am I? This is the big change I would have made, Joe. I would have decided, am I really just a physical entity, a physical being like a bird in the sky or a fish in the sea? No different from a dolphin or a whale. More complex, perhaps. Maybe more sophisticated. Fair enough. But is that who I am, basically? A, <laughs> a A physical entity, just a physical being who lives, dies, and then... Or is it possible that I'm more than that? Am I actually a spiritual being here for an entirely different reason that has nothing to do with what I've been doing the past 50 years? What would I have changed if I knew then what I know now? I would have changed my very idea about my reason for being on the earth lovely yeah that's it
0: neil thank you for coming on the show thank you very much
1: it's been wonderful thank you for the time and the opportunity to do so it's been a very sweet moment and i appreciate it very much
0: and remember here at dublin south fm we're interviewing plenty of people around the world conscious leaders and that's why we have the Conscious Business Podcast which is part of the Conscious Business Academy offering purpose, profit and prosperity in your life through soulful selling, mindful marketing conscious leadership and creative culture. If you want to reach out to me, it's joedalton.ie You have an awesome week and take care and look after yourself.